Well, thanks so much for joining us here on Cranford Radio. My name is Bernie Wagonblast. And if my voice sounds a little bit different on this episode, it's because I have been fighting COVID this week. So uh, my voice is a bit raspy and uh, and kind of all over the place. But I'm so glad that we can kick off this episode with the 104th season from the Cranford Dramatic Club. This is going to be their first performance of that 104th season. They're doing the production Head Over Heels. It's going to be playing at the Cranford Dramatic Club between October 13th through the 28th. Rather than me explaining about the show, why don't we start off with the four of you who are my guests today, introducing yourselves, and then you can tell me a little bit about the show and tell me about what your part, both on stage and off stage, is as far as this production goes. Sean, why don't we start with you? All right. We have two Seans today, (laughs) which is always confusing around rehearsal. So uh, I'm Sean Lowe, uh, and uh, I'm directing this production. Uh, I am super, super excited to finally be directing the show. We originally were going to do this four years ago, uh, before COVID, before uh, rights were pulled, and uh, like we finally get to do this. So Head Over Heels, uh, if you're not familiar with it, uh, is a 16th century play, uh, epic poem, plus the music of the Go-Go's. Uh, the way I like to tell people the sh- what the show is like is that, like it's like Mamma Mia with a plot. <laughs> uh, and, and it's a really good, like it's a, it's a good Elizabethan farce. Um, it's got, you know, men dressing as women. It's got running around. It's got mistaken identities. It's got people uh, having affairs, but not really having affairs. It, it, there's a lot of comedy. And then interspersed with that is the great music of the Go-Go's. Our Lips Are Sealed, Vacation, Turn to You, Head Over Heels, like all, all those great, great songs. And it's such a weird, it's like a, this incredible mashup uh, of styles uh, that shouldn't work, but really, really does. And despite having a 16th century text and music from the 80s, it's incredibly modern. It's incredibly now. Um, it, it's really, really uh, a, a great show. And I'm thrilled to finally be able to bring it to audiences. My name is Hannah Larmo. I am the musical director for Head Over Heels. And this is an absolute passion project for me. I'm so excited to be here and working at a Cranford Dramatic Club because this is my uh, first time directing uh, musical directing here specifically uh, for the theater. But that being said, uh, my pronouns are they, them. And with that being, I wouldn't call it a spoiler per se, (laughs) but I would say that being able to truly identify myself as they, them to the public and to be able to do a production like this that's so modern, as Sean said, and gives a lot of opportunity to discover identity, to really learn about yourself and find out what it means to be your own person growing in whatever community that might be. It's such a it's such a blessing. And to be with these people who are so passionate about the project, to want to sing this crazy music that's a little punk rock and a little uh, rock and roll. And then we have this 16th century text that we're like, what in the ye old English is this? It's <laughs> such a wonder to put it all together and for the cast members to just make sense of it, to make something truly their own. My name is Jeanette. I also go by Ja, like Ja Ja Gabor. Uh, yes. Um, 
I am. And then when she said that to me on the phone, I instantly had to cast her. Yeah, obviously. So, yes, I'm Jeanette. I am playing Mopsa in the this production of Head Over Heels. And I'm also designing the costumes for the show as well. This show is actually a really important show for me. I actually got to costume this show in my senior year of college. I went to Montclair State University and getting to work on a show that just had so much energy and passion and getting to be a part of creating the vision for this show, as well as being a part of creating the vision on the stage. I have a special part in the show where I get to put myself on stage as an actress and off stage as a costumer and getting to be a part of the story intertwined in all different kinds of ways is really special for me. I myself identify as she, they, I am a queer black human being and there have not been many shows where I've gotten to see queer black human beings getting to be queer black human (laughs) beings. So I'm just really excited to be able to put a part of myself on the stage and get to tell the story and share something that I think a lot of people are going to enjoy and connect to. I am Sean Lynch Littlejohn. I play King Basilius. I have done several shows here at Cranford, but I've never worked with Sean Lowe as a director. I was very excited to actually get to work on a project with someone so amazing as Sean. I think that my character in the show has one of the biggest transformations at the end. Not going to give that away. That's all I'm going to say. But what I particularly love about this is um, doing the show right now is my husband is in it with me. He is in the featured dance ensemble. and It's incredible. And being able to share the stage with my love in mm-hmm. a show about love is, is really special to me. Now this show was on Broadway in 2018. So not all that long ago, but it had a relatively short run while it was on Broadway. Are there any special challenges of bringing a show that was on the Broadway stage that recently to to Cranford, which is, again, not all that far from Broadway. Sean, you talked about licensing rights and COVID and all that. So I, I imagine that timing played something into it as well. Timing always plays, especially uh, where we are uh, in relationship to to the city. There are certain shows that we can't get the rights to uh, because we're too close to city. The city, either it's like Chicago would be a great show for for this theater, for this area, but we're too close to the city. And so we say they will not give us the rights. Anything that's coming to Broadway as a revival, we can't get the rights to just because we're just geographically too close. The show was going to tour after its Broadway run. And so uh, there was a very narrow window and then they pulled the rights. Um, and uh, which happens. So we uh, we did Bronx Tale instead, and uh, which was a great production. Then everything shut down. But a lot of people, a lot of younger people really discovered this play, this musical uh, during lockdown. The, the score and uh, bootlegs that are, that are online um, that I swear I've never seen. Um, <laughs> but, but they might exist. But a lot of young people in particular, uh, I think the, ca- the show didn't really find it, had time to find its audience when it was on Broadway. And it's kind of a hard sell. As I said, you know, it's a, it's a Elizabethan story with, with music by the Go-Go's. If you're coming from out of town and you're going to see one show, that may not be your first choice. You'll, you'll go see The Lion King, you'll go see Phantom of the Opera. But uh, like I was saying, young people really found this story and particularly young people today uh, who may be questioning, who may be non-binary, who may be one of the, uh, the one of 
of the members of LBGTQ2 Soul Plus. I, I use five different acronyms for work, so I apologize for not having them all memorized. They all jumble in my head. Found this play and found that like there was so much representation. Uh, there is a character that dresses as a woman. There is a character that by the end is, comes out as non-binary and it returns to their husband. There are you know, same-sex couples. There are traditional heterosexual couples. I think a lot of young people gravitated to the show because they'd never seen that before. Live on a stage. It's different in a movie or a streaming show. This is something that's like live on stage and to see that reflected back. I think it's part of why this show has kind of taken on a bigger importance with particularly uh, younger generations being done all over the country now. A lot of uh, colleges are doing it. Uh, we're one of the first uh, community theaters in New Jersey to do it because there's a very hardcore audience that found this show and felt seen the very different in a very different way than uh, they may have for other shows. You talk about young people seem to have found this show. Having been a student fairly recently at Montclair State University, and Sean talked about this being on the radar for young people and such. Was this on your radar when you were a student? Was this something that you had thought about as being involved with in a future production and also being the costumer? What kind of special challenges does that present to you? Uh, you're, you're doing 16th century costumes, but with a, a 20th or 21st century vibe. I actually never heard of Head Over Heels before I did it at Montclair State. Or if I heard of it, I wasn't connected enough to it to remember it, I guess. I never heard anything about the music. I graduated in 2022. And that was only four years after it came out. I think I had heard about it closing and how it had a short run, but I never really knew anything about it. And so when I was given the gift of getting to costume it my senior year, I obviously, I did a lot of research. I read the script. I watched the slime tutorial. <laughs> um, and I have never, I want to say other than rent and hairspray, because how can you not connect to rent and hairspray? <sighs> never felt right. I never felt like I've connected to a show so quickly before. I really felt like I was able to see myself in a way on stage that I've never been able to really see before. Getting to come from it from a costume stance first was really interesting because a lot, a big part of costuming is research. So mm -hmm. I, my research board is a mixture of Elizabethan fashion and 80s fashion, which surprisingly, there's a lot more correlation than you think. The, the big <laughs> shoulders, the tiny waist, the, the uh, bigger bottom, like hem and everything like that, the larger hair, the big blush. There are a lot of aspects of the styles that actually correlate. So it was actually really fun to get to kind of mix together the two. I, I use a similar inspiration for this show as well, kind of playing with the idea of sticking to historically accurate to a certain extent <laughs> when it comes to costumes for more of the structured aspects of the musical, but then getting to get into more of that free form, fun eighties aspect towards the end when different aspects of life were getting to be seen. Um, so, but I would say my biggest challenge at the time shows cost money. So <laughs> having to do a show that is very big and very bold with not a million dollar 
Broadway <laughs> budget, yeah, budget yeah. everything like that, I would say probably is the biggest challenge, but I'm always up for a challenge and it's my favorite thing. So it's not really a challenge. It's more of more of an exciting task. A challenge well. can be positive. A positive yeah. challenge. Yeah, a challenge that I'm excited and happy to take head on first. Sean Lynch, Little John, you talked about how special this is to be performing on the same stage with your husband. Maybe you could expand upon that a little bit more, if you would, please. Sure. Um, so I, I met my husband, Brendan Lynch, Little John, in college, and we have been together for 20-something years. Uh, <laughs> um, and he he works in film and television, so he's an excellent performer, but he doesn't get to do theater very often. So when we get to share the stage, it's few and far between. I think like the last time we really were in a show together was here at Cranford (laughs) and uh, Spelling Bee in 2020, right before everything shut down. So for me, it's so special to experience this with him and get to drive to and from rehearsals. So, you know, you think it's just, the rehearsal process is just when you're at the theater, but we get to take it home with us and, and the ride home and talk, well, what was working? What wasn't working? You were watching me when I wasn't, when I wasn't on the stage and vice versa. So like, what do you think? It's just, it's wonderful to have another connection within the connection that we already have. Do you run lines with each other when you're driving back and forth or at home? We do not. <laughs> I think that we would probably kill each other with that. Um, I will say separately, I know that they are both rehearsal demons. They both yeah. rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And Sean was the first one off book. I hear that Brandon is always, when, he's, when we're on a break, Brandon is on stage practicing, uh, going through the, the, the dance numbers. Always. always, so, always yeah. They're all, they're both always rehearsing, even if it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just not with each other at home or in the car. Yes, not with each other at home. <laughs> That's, that's where we draw the line. I think that line has to be there. <laughs> yeah. You get out of the car, you're like, it's done. It's done. <laughs> that is true. Well, we, we also, we live in Bergen County, so we're a bit of a hike from Cranford. Mm-hmm. So we have that ride home. And then when we park, it's okay. We're at our house now. It's something else. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, with being the musical director, this is music that was being heard on the radio in the 1980s. So it's a little bit different from either a show that people maybe aren't familiar with the music or it's so-called show music that, you know, if I hear a song from Oklahoma, I'm going to be thinking of the musical Oklahoma, let's say. Does that present any special challenges for you putting on music that a lot of people in the audience may be familiar with from hearing it on the radio? So surprisingly, the uh, the idea of jukebox musicals, which is what this is, um, is becoming more and more common, especially in uh, theater right now. Like if you go on Broadway, there's I I had examples. Uh, there's the Neil Diamond musical. There's the Britney musical. The Britney musical. Oh, yeah. so, yeah. um, the, a million new musicals. Right. That are all jukebox musicals. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I find really cool about this uh, this one in particular, Head Over Heels, is that almost none of the songs really are exactly how the Go-Go's perform it. Like when I when I said earlier that it was a little punk rock, it is very much like a little bit heavier than uh, how the Go-Go's originally performed it. Um, there is like a little more speed to it. And because it is 
uh, so intertwined with the plot itself, it changes the meaning about a lot of them. So like vacation is a song that is more than just a vacation, all I ever wanted. But uh, there is a whole story behind it of why a vacation is happening. Uh, Get Up and Go is not just a big dance, but now it is a traveling song. Um, there are even songs that are being borrowed that they don't sing at all. Uh, maybe uh, any of the listeners can find it when they see the show. Uh, this Town mm-hmm. is one of my personal favorites of the Go-Go's. That uh, it is repeated so often that it becomes like a character motif mm-hmm. for uh, one of the important characters, one of the leads in the show. And you'll hear it every time. <laughs> so the challenges, I would say, is... Finding the finding its authenticity from the Go Go's, which uh, that a lot is taken from it, but trying to combine that together to maintain what that originality is that they had. The Go Go's, they all came together to learn their instruments to create a band, and there they were. They just started making music, and they kept going and became so popular, so mm-hmm. famous for it. That uh, now that we're modifying it, we can't take that away we can't take away the the strength and their determination like their fight to be something important combining that with the plot overall of head over heels really makes it a little bit easier it gives it makes it easier to ask the questions to the characters like and i don't i don't want to spoil anything but maybe uh because most of these songs are solos also Mm -hmm. like with the occasional harmony it turns into the question of how do we split it why is one character saying these lines to another? Mm-hmm. Why should it become an argument? Or is it not an argument? Is it a moment of resolution? Anything can be interpreted differently. Challenge is just to know what questions to ask and what answers you can find from the cast members themselves. Like I've asked Sean Lynch Little John, the, uh, <laughs> like a ton of questions about Vasilius and like what we can do to make the king real. Like what does it mean to be in charge of a kingdom with Mopsa? The question is what does it mean to be so important yet so overlooked? There's so much that occurs that in the music, it really ties it all together. And I, I guess the best way I could say it is I, can only hope that with the amount of work that we've put into this music, combining everything and to really ask these questions, that the audience will also hear it and they will also see it and recognize what it means to add this music in, what these lyrics mean to them and what we want the lyrics mean to the audience. Sean Lowe, I want to ask a couple of questions of you as we wrap up that are in general about the CDC and about this show in particular. The first one When you put on a show like this that has music from the 80s, it's about love and acceptance. I heard it described by the people who were involved with it in 2018 when it was on Broadway. They were concerned that it maybe was too progressive, Mm -hmm. even in 2018, for Broadway. Does it draw a different audience than, say, a show like Twelfth Night last season or a chorus line? Is there a different audience that you have a sense is attending a show like this? So far, um, I expected that to be the case. So far, I haven't seen that. On the other hat that I wear is as business VP. And as ticket sales have been going on and increasing, surprising, it seems like our core audience. Like People seem excited to come see 
this show, come see this show at CDC. But it feels like from the people I've spoken to, strangely, it's an older audience. Maybe they remember the music better. Uh, maybe because it's a big musical and people are excited to see big musicals again. But uh, surprisingly, uh, I expected to have that we it would be a very young audience. But so far, the advanced sales are more along the lines of our our core audiences. One of the things that the CDC has said that they wanted to do, they've said this at least the past couple of seasons, that they wanted to be an even more open and inclusive organization than they already are. Right. Is this show part of that effort to be seen as a more open and inclusive organization, not just from what's being presented, but in terms of the people who are on stage and presenting this, this musical? To your second question, I can't, I can't necessarily uh, answer for every director and every, uh, every, uh, every production that we've done, but certainly for my productions, I've always tried to make them as inclusive as possible. Um, I've tried reverse casting. I've tried gender blind casting. I've tried, uh, I've tried whatever I could to try and increase the diversity uh, within my shows. And that's just because that's how I feel things should be. Um, that's not because it's a mandate from, from the organization. Uh, that's just the kind of theater that I want to see and uh, kind of what gets, gets me excited. Production of A Doll's House Part 2 that we did, it was our first thing back right after COVID had uh, a non-binary actress in it uh, who's now transitioned. And it was the best actress who came out for the role. And uh, I was super excited to, to work with her. For me, it's, it's really kind of merit-based. Uh, is someone dedicated? Are they uh, good for the role? Um, meaning, like, do they have the right voice parts? Are they, can they read? Can, they, you know, can I work with them if I try and give them uh, direction? Are they, you know, that's by far the most important part for me. Again, it's, it's not like the, the board of directors is saying, you must cast this. This is just, for me, that, that's, that's the kind of theater that I love. So the first part of your question, uh, this show wasn't chosen because of that, but this show fits very much into our diversity uh, program and uh, all of the, the work that the board has been doing in an attempt to, to increase diversity both of the board, but of the shows and the people who are members and the people who come see shows and the people in them. Um, this show just fits really well into that, that whole belief system. Well, again, I want to remind listeners that this is going to be presented at the Cranford Dramatic Club October 13th through 28th. Tickets are available on the CDC's website. That's cdctheater.org. Everyone, thank you so much for being my guest here on this edition of Cranford Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.